Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 12. This is your host, Blem. Listeners, this is Mike D. Thank you again for joining us for another episode. We are now 48 hours removed from the emotional roller coaster that was U.S. men's national team versus Mexico. And I am still absolutely buzzing. This match literally had it all. Questionable calls, beer being thrown onto the pitch when I wish I was drinking it. Pitch invaders, huge saves, new tactics, shithousery, multiple dust-ups, passion, you name it. This match had it. After 120-plus minutes, the U.S. men's national team were able to outlast Mexico to win the inaugural CONCACAF Nations League final 3-2. to two. There is so much to unpack here. So joining us today to break down the U.S. men's national team historic win is author for The Athletic and host of the Dead Ball Brothers podcast, Adam Snavely, a.k.a. Snaves. Adam, welcome to MLS Gun Wild. Ooh, I don't know if I've ever been introduced as an author before. This is great. This is good for me, for my personal brand. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, I am looking forward to somehow another friendly tomorrow. Uh, at, at the time of recording, it will be tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, just still a little bit of basking in the afterglow, I guess, of the, the Nations League, which is... I'm, I, I think I think that uh, I mean we'll get into how how we all feel about it I I, I imagine but uh, yeah just just feeling feeling good feeling content about a lot of things for the first time in a while. All right, so you're feeling good, you're feeling content. But what about Sunday night, Adam? <laughs> what were you, what were your emotions after watching the, this young U.S. men's national team grind out a historic win? And what was your moment of the match? Oh, I mean, man. So I, I, I actually, I wrote some stuff down just because I, I, I knew that this question was coming and I didn't have a, like a, a clear cut answer right off the top of my head. So I, I was kind of like, what, what did I feel? Because it, it was all good feelings. Uh, but was it joy was it relief and and i was kind of trying to parse that out and and kind of what i came up with was that i at the end of the game the u.s wins uh, everybody goes nuts they all swarm ethan horvath which is my my moment of the game is ethan horvath safe i i know that i know that the picture of Pulisic shushing the crowd is going to be the immortal picture and that's fine i'm fine with that it's a great pick I love, I love that. My favorite part of the, of the picture is actually low-key Tim Weah on the side who kind of looks like he's about to break into a dance almost. <laughs> it's, it's very, very choice. But I think end of the game comes, the Horvath makes that save and, and we win. And I felt like above all, I didn't have to justify to myself liking this team. Which is, which is something that I think that I've been feeling for a, maybe even like a couple of years now. Um, it's, it's a team that I followed for a, a long time. Ever since I was, you know, a kid in like middle school, I, I was starting to really cheer for and, and follow the United States men's national team. Um, and, and I think the past several years, uh, a lot of people, including myself, have been kind of examining, I guess, their own patriotism for a lot of good reasons. Um, and, and cheering for 
a national team is is ostensibly like a, a branch of patriotism in its own way like that that's just how it works and all these things kind of were coalescing and it felt like it was really hard to be just a fan of the team in general and 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 it felt a little aimless and pointless and watching the game against Mexico it finally felt like yes I remember why I started following and cheering for this team in the first place I, I think in several ways, the United States men's national team can represent some of the best parts of this country and that it represents the place I come from as well as the place where millions of people who are nothing like me at all come from. And that at the end of the day, this is a team that despite that can still come together and fight for each other. Uh, it's a team that I don't think has quite figured out how to be greater than the sum of its part yet, but it's on its way finally back to that path that that used to be kind of a a calling card for this team uh and it's unafraid of being an underdog in their own country and it's going to raise their level to that so so maybe that feeling is relief maybe it's joy uh but i think even more it's a feeling of remembering why you kind of fell in love for better or worse in the first place and feeling that that feeling once again yeah what an answer i mean i think the the feeling for me that comes to mind immediately among all the things that you've said is pride right the team to be as resilient as they were you know to, to go down in the second minute and and not put their heads down and immediately start to fight and then to go down again and then continue to fight to then come out on top the resilience the fight and the passion really just made me proud to be a fan of this team. Mike yeah. D, what was your moment of the match? Moment of the match. Well, Snaves kind of took it. Is it okay if I call you Snaves? People call you Snaves uh, or they call you Snaves? Perfectly. Uh, it was born out of a um, soccer team nickname that occurred when I was like in like JV soccer. So it's, it's okay. been basically my nickname for forever at this point. Okay. So you kind of took mine. Uh, but That's mine was kind of in two parts, right? So I had Pulisic's PK initially, but sure. also on top of it, the celebration, you know, 114th minute, top-notch PK in a very high-presser situation. Just you, you can't ask for more there. You know, big-time players make big-time plays. And in that moment, we needed Christian, and he stepped up to the plate. So that, for me, was the moment of the match. And and he wasn't that great up no. to that point. It must be said, like he was pretty anonymous, basically up until like those that kind of five minute period, right. and then he he gets he he wins the PK whether it's a questionable PK or not. They give it. He wins the penalty, and then he slammed that penalty home. That was a a crazy good penalty. Yeah, it was fantastic. And the whole time the referee was looking at the VAR screen, the Mexican national team was absolutely mudding the PK spot where his plant foot would land. And then he steps up casually and hits it upper 90. It was just so casual. And it looked like the guy that just won the UEFA Champions League eight days earlier. It looked like he was owning that moment. And before I get into my moment of the match and my emotions of the game, like, Christian Pulisic had the weight of the world on his shoulders in that game, I think. He was the only player on that field that was on the field in Cuba when they failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So that was just – he felt a sense of relief there that 
oh, shit, we can go out and beat these quote-unquote CONCACAF giants and we can keep up with them and we have an average age of 24 and they're an experienced team that's built to win now, we can do this damn thing. Um, so just building on that, I'll get into my response. I, I, I've, I felt relief, honestly, because we've been missing quality, meaningful U.S. men's national team games for years now. And we played all those friendlies at the back end of 2020 where we were playing those cupcake teams. And, you know, we come back to Nations League that's finally resuming from when it started in 2019. And we come out and we play against Honduras. And honestly, we don't look great. We uh, rely on a what's his name? P-Folk <laughs> goal in the 89th minute or, you know, whatever. What do we call him, right? What do we call him? Yeah. The, his Twitter account has officially it changed it to call me P-Folk. So yeah. Yeah. I, right. I, that is what I assume we call him. Jordan P-Folk. Yeah. The yeah. Ocean Smith P-Folk. But it's Jordy. P-Folk. Jordy. <laughs> hey, who knows? Right. But anyways, then we come out in this, this game against Mexico. We compete for 124 minutes, so 130 minutes, I believe, technically. It was amazing to watch a team that's that young, that's really starting to finally come together, that they they play with so much fire. And I felt that fire in myself. It felt personal for me just as a fan. It really did because we've been awaiting this kind of moment for so long. But, Adam, you said something. It's, you said why you fell in love with this team. And, you know, I had always casually watched U.S. Men's National Team until about the 2010 World Cup. And I remember I told you I was from Columbus. Columbus crew held this event for the 2010 World Cup where they put this giant tent outside of the stadium. And me and my buddies were all, uh, we were 17 years old at the point. We would go down there. All these older people are drinking at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. We're just in there drinking a soda and watching these games as hype as these people. And I'll never forget, I was in this tent with thousands of people, which I can't wait till we can get back to that point post-COVID. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And Landon Donovan scored that goal against Algeria. And my moment of the match isn't the Pulisic celebration, but that moment felt so Landon Donovan-esque where he just went sliding into the corner. Christian went to the, the Mexican supporter section, uh, th- that corner. But anyway, that's – The whole stadium I, was the Mexican supporter section, really. <laughs> yeah, they wasted a lot of beer as well. I ain't going to get into all that. But, yeah, that, that passion, that's why I fell in love with this team. They kind of reminded me of that. It felt personal. I absolutely loved what I saw. But my moment of the match was – excuse the voice crack there. Holy smokes. Just a little emotion. Just, let's just let it that's out. That's it. Just let it I out. I might cry <laughs> here in a minute, guys. Golly. But, no, it was Weston McKinney. Right, we had seen Weston McKinney up to this point when he scored the equalizer. Get up and went header after header after header. You'd swear this guy was, like, seven foot tall. Like, it's ridiculous. But, anyway, he goes up and he wins this header and – Ochoa gets a hand to it but can't get enough on it. U.S. equalizes after their second time being down in that game. And it wasn't just the goal. The goal was amazing. But his reaction, Greg Berhalter's been under fire. If you're, if you're looking at Twitter, you're reading articles, he's been under fire. People are saying, oh, he's not a tactician. He's not a game manager. He can't adapt to playing against different teams. He's not the guy for the U.S. men's national team. Where's Jesse Marsh? Mike D, I said I wasn't going to mention the name. But, like, he's been under fire. <laughs> Greg Berhalter has been under fire and for Weston McKinney to score that goal and sprint directly to his coach. And they just embrace and jump into each other's arms. And it just, that shows me that these guys, Weston McKinney, the top players all the way down on that roster and their gameplay throughout the game, they're willing to go to war for Greg Berhalter and his system 
Greg Berhalter has created a team that loves to be together, and it looks like they love to play for Greg Berhalter, and that exemplified it for me. So I'm a Greg Berhalter guy. I don't sit on that uh, committee that says Greg Berhalter out. If the players love him, I love him. And when Weston McKinney scored that goal and did that, I'm even more here for it right now. Oh, you were describing it, and I felt like I could hear like Celine Dion start melting into the background. A little bit Ooh. of penny whistle. <laughs> Give me the hey, Mike D. Mike D, can you edit that in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, but, but while we're here, I want to ask that question. You know, is Greg the right guy, and how important of a win was this for Greg? And, Adam, I'm kind of directing that to you. Sure. Um, I think the question of right or wrong isn't necessarily – I don't know if anybody is ever the right, right coach, except in like a couple of situations. I think that there are clearly place times when, when people are the wrong coach. Sure. Um, but I, I did, I, I tweeted out the other day. I, I think that at this point, Greg Berhalter is American Frank Lampard. And I honestly meant it in kind of a good way. And, and I don't think many people took it that way. Um, but I did mean it in, in a pretty good way in that, you know, I think that you can take or leave some of his tactical decisions sometimes. I think that I saw some of the things that he really, really wanted to do against Mexico that were succeeding. I think I saw a bunch of things that he wanted to do with his formation that were failing uh, against Mexico and against Honduras. There were tactical things that I didn't like when I when I looked at the field, but you know, when you get into the international game, it's so different coaching from the club level just because there are so so fewer games, so fewer training sessions where these players have to try to, to gel and, and create something together. And you look at, you know, some of the team's international sides that are just renowned as, wow, these were some of the, the best international sides ever. And, and you look at that Spain team that won the Euro, World Cup Euro, back to back to back half of them are playing for Barcelona and the other half are playing for Real Madrid. Like nearly all of them are basically playing on the same team. So it's no wonder that that team can create such a defined tactical style and, and, and would go out and dominate. And now we've kind of reverted back a little bit more to, all right, you know, international soccer. Huh? No, maybe it's not, maybe the quality isn't as good uh, tactically speaking as, as a lot of club soccer is. I do think that it's really, really difficult to understate the importance of people that are buying into what the coach is selling, people that are willing to play for the coach. And, and after that, I mean, at the international level, really simple things, things like set pieces, which, you know, we, we saw the very, very big importance of during that U.S.-Mexico game where the U.S. makes a couple of mistakes, makes some really bad errors, and, and gets punished for it a couple of times by Mexico, but then comes back and scores two goals off corner kicks and could have scored a couple other goals if Memo Ochoa didn't make a couple really nice saves on some other corner kicks. So, you know, we see these things. I... I can't say if Greg Berhalter is the right guy, but I certainly don't think that he is the wrong guy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think to your point, you never really can know until you know who the right guy is because you bring somebody in off of an, off of a notion, right? Who this guy has this way of playing, he runs these tactics and maybe he'll be the right guy. Right. And I think when you have the ability to get this group of guys bought in, in such a short amount of time, he's got he's now he's 19, six and three with the U S men's national team. This group of guys, he was able to 
put together a formation and a tactic against Mexico that was high pressing at times. It was slightly reserved and then it was highly reserved changing from three, four, three to, to four, three, three, and then a uh, uh, variation of, uh, of a four, four, two. Yeah. So, Numbers. So Numbers. The, the ability to do that, to get the guys to buy in and to do it in such a short amount of time, I like what I'm seeing. There are things to fix, of course, but this is a huge confidence boost for not only Greg Berhalter, but the guys that he has under him. And I think that things will improve. Hey, I told you I didn't have any stats or any numbers. I got one stat for you, Mike D. You mentioned Greg Berhalter's record. So with the win tomorrow versus Costa Rica, Greg Berhalter would become the fastest U.S. men's national team manager to get 20 wins. So he would have 20 wins and 29 matches. I don't know. It says a lot. But before we go on and on about Triple G, we've discussed our moments of the match. Now let's get to our man of the match. Big players show up in big moments and big games. Pulisic, Reyna, and McKinney all lived up to their high expectations as they each scored in Sunday's match. Let's give some love to one of the shot stoppers as well, though. Ethan Horvath, who entered the match in the 69th minute, made some huge saves, including the PK save, to preserve the win. So many to choose from, but if you had to choose one, who is your man of the match and why? And hold on, Snaves. Mike D, I'm putting you on the spot. I mean – for me, there's only there's one clear guy. You can you could make arguments for others, but there's there's one clear guy for me, and it's Horvath. I mean, local could was never supposed to get into this game, gets the call, rises to the occasion. You might think that getting scored on in just ten minutes of being behind, you know, in the net after he came in would bring down that morale, but that was absolutely not the case. He made huge saves in crucial parts of the game. Um, one of his saves being the biggest save and the one of the biggest moments of the game, the dying moments when he saved that, that PK. So absolutely spectacular performance from, from him. And he's, he's my, uh, my man of the match. Yeah. I, um, I'm also going with Horvath, a substitution in the 69th minute, possibly the nicest substitution in United States men's national team history. It has to be said, I will never miss an opportunity to make that joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, he comes in and even before the penalty save, he's the one that saves the game because Mexico has a couple of opportunities that he makes outstanding saves on almost as soon as he is in the match. And, and if he doesn't make those saves, we're not here talking about an, an American win. We're, we're here talking about a, a 3-2 Mexico win that ended at the end of regulation. That There was no extra time there was no Pulisic penalty there was no Guardado penalty without Ethan Horvath save so yes I mean Christian Pulisic stepped up in a very clutch moment I thought Gio Reyna was our most dangerous attacking player across the two games in the CONCACAF Nations League obviously Weston McKinney is an absolute just monster in set piece situations and was buzzing around the field particularly after that opening 20 minutes but I have to give it to Horvath yeah I hear what you guys are saying, and I appreciate it. Well, he's going to say Kellen Acosta. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm saving the Kellen talks for later in the podcast. Man. I'm going for his midfield partner, Weston McKinney. He is our box-to-box guy. You can watch highlight after highlight in this game when we're in transition, when we pick up the ball at the 18, and he's, he's gone. I'm going to touch on a highlight later in the game and the all the small things segment where he literally starts a transition and then he gets a shot off at the eight the uh, opposition's 18 he does a little bit of everything he, he scored the header 
uh, that Ochoa just got fingertips onto the the tie the game at two to two, and he also it wasn't an assist, but he headed it off the the post that led to the Geo Reina goal as well. So like you said, Snaves absolute beast on free kicks, especially corner kicks. He's not that tall. I don't know exactly how tall he is, but Mexico was playing some zonal marking it looked like for set pieces so he was just finding those spaces and getting up over them but man of the match for me I I could talk about his his leadership skills and whatever I mean but before I before I ramble on about his leadership skills I do have a question for you guys okay we've seen multiple captains this year Pulisic wore the armband this game against Mexico who is your guys captain going forward if we had to name an official one-man captain, who would it be? Go ahead, Snaves. Let you go first. If it's if it's the team's like emotional leader and person that's barking the most on the field, it's Weston McKinney. But if it's our best player, it's John Brooks. Ooh, say it louder for the ones in the back. It's John Brooks. <laughs> I I really I like John Brooks. People give John Brooks, you know. They hate on John Brooks a little bit. I, I was actually talking with one of my buddies this weekend about John Brooks, and he said he's old and he's been there, done that. And he's not. He's not even good. thirty yet. Right. No. Right. I know. So, um, I, 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 I like John Brooks a lot, but I'm going with McKenney. You know, you, you want a leader, and when I saw the way that he reacted in most of the scenarios where there were scuffles. In most of them, you know, there was, you know, definitely you get a little angry, but a lot of the times he's going over to try to stop, you know, what's going on. He's trying to be that leader. And then when he goes over to, to Stefan, when he gets hurt, you know, taps him on the shoulder, gives him a little bit of a hug and says, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Um, that's what you want in a leader for me. And God, the guy's got so much personality. How could you not like him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, he, he's a, a big, just a big bag of fun pretty much always. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have to give props to Weston McKinney for not swinging at anybody during the Mexico game uh, in, in several shoving matches. I, I, think, I think one of the things that I really love about John Brooks as a captain, though, is when you look at that Honduras game and how Honduras came out, and it, it felt like a lot of the United States players weren't prepared for the way that Honduras was the, the intensity that Honduras was going to bring. And the first player to step it up into that an- intensity level was John Brooks and the people around him fed off of it. Mark McKenzie in that game fed off of it. The people around John Brooks were, were looking at that example. So I, I, I would be happy honestly with either of them. Yeah. yeah, John Brooks kind of sets the tone. I think those are the right words for what John Brooks does. We saw that, like you said, in the Honduras game, when I think within the first 10 minutes, him and Albert Elise were face-to-face uh, kind of going at it. He did set the tone. It was a slow start. and He was kind of like, uh, uh, we, we got to step it up. We got to play because Honduras is going to come here. They're the underdogs. They're going to knock us off. But for me, it's Weston McKinney. He's a physical leader on the field. We touched on what he did in all those scuffles, either breaking up the fight, getting choked, which is the second time that's happened against Mexico, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, And just his emotional leadership on the field as well and his personality. He has so much fun. You saw him during the Mexico game talking to the ref at halftime and before extra time. And as Christian Pulisic was approaching the penalty kick spot, Weston McKinney was talking to him and 
Yeah, I don't know what he said to him, but it's just those little things. And I tweeted during the game, like D already talked about it, when he went up to Zach Steffen. Zach Steffen was trying to play through the injury. And Weston McKinney's like, bro, this, this is bigger than this, all right? You take a break. We got a guy on the bench that can come in and do your thing. We need you later on down the year at World Cup qualifier. So he is young. He has a lot of fun. So some might say, oh, he's not mature enough. But he has that level of maturity on the pitch that I think demands respect. And I think, for me, Weston McKinney would wear the armband on a very regular basis. But John Brooks is a very good shout. You guys don't think Pulisic for captain? I'm fine with Pulisic for captain. I just and, – and, and I think that – I think that, for example, during the Mexico game, I think that he performed as, as captain well. I didn't have complaints about his captainship, I guess. Um, I do think there are times when uh, Pulisic gets a little sulky on the field if, if things aren't going his way. I don't think he did this against Mexico, but uh, I, I think that he will sometimes get a little bit visibly down, and that's not really what you want from a person that is your captain. And, and sometimes the captain is the best player in the field or the most notor- notor- notoriable. That's not a word. Uh, the most noted, sure, the most noted player on the field. Uh, sometimes that's your captain, but other times, and, and I think that this this bears uh, bears fruit in in U.S. men's soccer history. Um, you know, we had a period where Landon Donovan was was the captain for the national team, and things didn't really work out that well. And he continued playing for the national team. The armband went to other people, and his play improved. I, I don't. I think that you don't necessarily have to have the armband on Christian Pulisic. Um, and, and I think that West McKinney or John Brooks are, are possibly a little bit more, I guess I'll say emotionally steady people to have on the field as a captain. All right. So let's talk about emotionally unsteady. Really. If you had to have any U S men's national team player on your side in a street fight, who would it be? <sighs> I'm I my my gut my gut check is McKenney, but I'm I'm trying to run through my list of people really really fast as I like kind of like go through the old mental rolodex of names. Um, Mark McKenzie is another person that I I think would would defend me at all costs and probably do really really well at that. Um, what about DeAndre Yedlin? See, Yedlin, yes, but he's also very, very pretty. And I can't <laughs> trust a pretty person in a street fight. Because at some point, they're going to protect the moneymaker, which is fair play to them, but doesn't help me in the street fight. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with somebody that probably you guys didn't think of. I'm going with somebody who was on the bench and David Ochoa. Because that man is a savage. David Ochoa is about it. David that Ochoa man is a savage. Down. He wants to smoke. If he's going to turn around and kick the ball into the stands and just absolutely disrespect people the way that he can, <laughs> I'm taking that guy in a street fight. All right, well, on I got my a surprise. team, of course. On my team. I got a surprise for y'all. I'm taking Greg Berhalter. Did you see what he did on that sideline in that Mexico game? <laughs> My goodness. He nah, left winger Greg Berhalter? He was, he was playing left wing. It was great. <laughs> but, but to be honest with you, Daryl DK for me, he's a man's a physical specimen. I, 
I'll stand behind him and I, he'll take, yeah, he'll, he'll take care of it. Uh, I have, I have like dreamt and like theorized of, you know, just what if, what if Burhalter just one day rolls out a real big, like screw you four, four, two with, with, uh, with Jordan Pifok and Daryl DK playing striker. And <laughs> I was like, you know, it might not be the prettiest soccer they've ever seen, but I definitely don't want to play against that. <laughs> definitely do not want to play against that team. Hey, if you think Weston McKinney's winning all those corner kick balls in the air, okay, Gosh. imagine what those imagine what those two are going to do in the air as well. It's it's just the the complete set piece team where you get DK, Pfock, Weston McKinney, you bring Walker Zimmerman in. You're never losing. You're never losing a set piece. Never. So, look, we're talking tactics. Quick transition. What are some of our tactical takeaways from this match, both positive and negative? Um, I, I think that some of the positives are that there are clearly some tactical, like, little wrinkles and nuances that the team is picking up and implementing from Greg Berhalter and, and managing to, to do well in the short amount of time that they are afforded to do that. I think that you saw that with the way that they were kind of stymieing Mexico's buildup. And, and Berhalter himself talked about this when they were trying to build with different numbers, you went and matched them with numbers um, and how they were kind of rotating Sergio Dest in between a wing back and a left midfielder and, and, and those, those different wrinkles. And I think that those were successful, but it is a little bit hard to talk about the, the tactical stuff just because so much of the things that broke down for the U S weren't necessarily, Oh, this is a bad tactical thing as much as, wow, this was just an unbelievably bad individual play. Um, And Mark McKenzie, a super tough giveaway that occurs. Um, Tim Ream, I watched him just be turned into dust slowly uh, by Chucky Lozano. And then Diego Linez. I think basically everybody in the world looked at Diego Linez subbing in and were like, yeah, it seems like they're going after Tim Ream. And three minutes later, he torches Tim Ream and scores. And it's like, yeah, well, they, they were definitely going after Tim Ream. That, that's what happened. So I don't know. It's a little bit difficult to talk about a bunch of the tactical things just because it felt like a lot of it was individual breakdown rather than system breakdown. Um, I do think that, I said before the game, I don't love the three four three look, and my my basic reasoning for that is that for all the things that it's trying to address and do, it puts a lot of emphasis on the center back position where we are arguably at our thinnest. And lo and behold, I mean, I think that Mark McKenzie bounced back from some of his mistakes uh, and and put did some nice things. It would, but it was a really, really up and down game from him because there would be one moment where he was just standing up, Tecatito Corona on one side, and it was great, great defensive play. And then there's the next moment where it's just an awful giveaway. And, and so in a way, it's good, but also in a lot of ways, not great from him. I could see theoretically with some different personnel in the future how the 343 works a little bit better for the US, but I still don't love it just because we're kind of thin at center back. And, and if you're going to play a formation that has three center backs, you need to have those three center backs that can actually go and pull it off. 
So, so let me ask you this. If we were to play a 3-4-3 and we were to play our three best center backs, who would they be? That's a little bit tough. I said I'm, I would be interested in seeing what it, would, what it might look like if you have Chris Richards, a healthy Chris Richards, playing one of the side center back positions. John Brooks, actually, playing another side center back position. And in the middle, James Sands. Oof. We got we to gotta get him called up to the national team first. That is, I- that is true. But I like a lot of what James Sands done. And he basically exclus- almost exclusively plays that middle center back in a back three position for NYC. And when they line up with a back four, he's a defensive midfielder. So he simultaneously addresses two areas of need where you have a, a deep-lying number six and also a center back. So, I don't know. I, I, I like James Hands a lot. I would like to see him called up for the Gold Cup. Holy smokes, I wasn't expecting that, but I also wouldn't hate to see it. Yep. That's, that's, my, that's my tactical 3-4-3 analysis. I think for me, it, it was just seeing the versatility that can be, when executed properly, pulled off. You know, the, the, yes, formations change naturally. They're, they're going to change naturally in the progression of a game. But the tactical decisions that, that Greg Berhalter implemented when not – it's not something normally that he would do. It's kind of new for him to do this um, – have this versatile approach to an opponent, not to say that he's not tactically sound, but it's, it's, it was newer – for Greg Berhalter to see that in play was, was nice. As I had mentioned going from, you know, four, three, three, um, four, four, two, and then three, four, three changing those, those variations around. I really like the balance that Kellen Acosta and Weston McKenney bring in the midfield. Kellen's spacing and ability to play that six role is unmatched. Kellen gets a lot of flack, um, has really worked hard to get back to the national team and is really proving himself, I think. And Weston McKinney is just that box-to-box eight that can do it all. I mean, he, he can do it all, whether it's, you know, dropping back to play defense and distribute if he needs to or getting into the attack and having a go at goal. Um, although not in, involved as much as we wanted to see, allowing Christian Pulisic to roam more freely is going to be good for him. Um, we saw in the beginning um, he was kind of locked onto that left wing and nothing was happening for him. He didn't get a whole lot of touches on the ball throughout the course of the game. But when he did have the moments that we want to see, it was him receiving the ball, turning a defender, and then attacking the back line. Um, That's what we need to see from him. Um, I also liked to see the on the break or in the counterattack that the boys can get forward. You know, when that transition happens – we, I mean, we saw it in the, in the 108th minute, uh, Leggett picked up a, a, a ball that was um, coughed up and uh, it turned into a transition with, with, with P. Falk and actually was the one that led to that PK, uh, Pulisic PK. And you, you see in that transition how quickly the boys just get forward. So these little, these little you know, stints of, of magic that once they're fine-tuned, I think are really going to bring success to this team. So first I'll, I'll talk about how we, we did line up in a 3-4-3 or, or whatever you want to call it. I, I really like how we have guys like Dest and Yedlin, 
or Dest and Cannon, guys that are willing to get forward can also defend, but they can play the wing back. And when you play these wing backs, it allows these natural-born playmakers like Polisic and Raina to drift inside and create numbers inside and really show their creativity. And, Mike, you just talked on it a little bit about Polisic in the first half was pretty underwhelming, which most of our stars were and most of our team was. But within the first five minutes of the second half, we saw – Christian Pulisic drifting inside and finding those spaces and having the freedom to find those spaces. So I like that the 3-4-3 allows that, that the wingbacks can take up some space on the wide channels and those guys can come inside. But also when the wingbacks go, we, you know, we have a double pivot in the midfield when we're playing with the 3-4-3. And if Weston McKinney wants to get forward, we have Kellen Acosta in cover. And both of those guys are capable defenders. So I do like that it provides some cover, but one thing that happened in this game that we thought would benefit us, that kind of exposed us a little bit, is when we pressed with the three of Pulisic, Reyna, and Sargent. They're one of their center mids. I believe Rodriguez would drop in as almost a center back, similar to what James Sands does. And yeah. then they would literally look to spray the ball wide outright to where Tim Ream was to either expose him over the top or to get the ball to feed out wide. So some to either Antuna or nah, what's his name? Yanez could uh, dribble at him. And so it was good that we eliminated those central channels via those three guys up top squeezing. Uh, and then there was two V two in the middle with Weston McKinney and Kellen Acosta. So I thought we did really well there, but overall I thought it was a, 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 Decent performance on the U.S. men's national team. It wasn't the prettiest. We saw a lot more long balls. We didn't see a whole lot of pretty combination soccer through the middle. But that's just kind of what that game took. It was a gritty CONCACAF game. It looked like a final. It looked like everything was on. It looked like everything was on the line. I, yeah. I just now realized that as I was talking about the things that I liked, that I didn't say anything that I didn't like. And, <laughs> and, and on top of what you said, I mean, Blake – the the three four three, um, if if not played the right way, absolutely leaves that back line exposed. You know, especially guys like Tim Ream. You know, if if the, if those wing backs don't get back and and balls coughed up somewhere in the midfield, you're exposed. Um, on top of that, one thing that I don't like, which has kind of been always a thing, is that still takes the U.S. men's national team to get punched in the mouth to respond. So that has to be fixed. We have to be able to go out and be on the front foot and score goals in the run of play, not before we get scored on. So that's always kind of been a thing, um, and we saw it here. But the difference is that they were resilient and they were able to, to come out and um, capitalize and, and still take away that 3-2 win. I think one last thing that also I've, I think definitely affected a, a few things that we talked about, um, both with uh, how Pulisic and Reyna were, were struggling to find space often, uh, and, and at times it, it was a problem just building attacks. Uh, one of the most important people in this formation as it started was Serginho Dest, and he looked very tired. He looked like possibly the most affected by the altitude of the players that were out on the field um, just, just after like 20 or 30 minutes just looked really, really gassed. So that definitely hurt us 
Um, and it's not something that is necessarily going to be replicated in a ton of situations. There's not a lot of places that you play in the world that is literally a mile high in altitude. Um, which is, I mean, I mean, the, the altitude thing is, I theorize, one of the main reasons that Kellen Acosta got the start in the first place because he's one of the only people that has the actual experience of playing like that. Um, so, so that definitely hurt. And that's something that's just like, well, what are we going to do about that? <laughs> you bring up Serginho Dest. We've seen him play left back. We've seen him play right back. We've seen him now play left wing back. What is his best position? And where should we expect him to start for the U.S. men's national team? come World Cup qualifying and come World Cup time? I think his best position is the whatever the opposite flank of somebody that actually puts their mark on the starting 11 is. Because Serginho Dest is, is definitely one of our best players, but is Reggie Cannon definitely one of our best players? Is Anthony Robinson definitely one of our best players? Are we going to bring is, – is DeAndre Edlin, has he made enough of a mark now? Are we going to bring Sam Vines in? Are we going to look at somebody else? Like is Brian Reynolds going to really come up? it's it's less of a problem I think of Serginho Dest at this point and more of a problem of who do we really trust opposite Serginho Dest like who is who's gonna lock that down I don't I don't think that I I think and and there was a lot of hand-wringing after after the Switzerland friendly about oh like Dest is leaving there's a lot of space left behind and I, I was kind of talking it over and it seemed so much of the time like not necessarily a problem that Dest is going forward and attacking, but more of a problem of we just ask a couple people to to stay back a little bit longer, stay like some of these presses that are exposing us to counterattacks are really, really far up from a ton of people and not just Serginho Dest. Um, I, I, I think that Serginho Dest is, is continuing to figure out the balance between attacking and, and defense. But I really think that it's just going to take somebody really, putting their stamp on this 11 uh, more so than who is the, who is the clear answer right now. Cause I can't say that I have a clear answer outside of uh, opposite of Serginho Dust right now. I agree with you. I've liked Anthony Robinson out left. I don't think he's put his stamp on the position whatsoever. And that's why we find ourselves in the situation we're in, but I prefer Serginho Dust uh, as, as a right back, but that's just me. But I have one more question because we're talking a little bit about depth for the U S men's national team. Our backup number six has Acosta put his stamp on that? Not yet. I and I um I I thought that Acosta was fine against Mexico. I I I've seen a lot of love for it, and I think that he did a lot of the time an adequate job, but not necessarily one that really raised the level of the people around him. And I also don't think that he's a a six. I just don't. If you look at his play with Colorado, he is sprinting forward all the time. And Jack Price is the six. Jack Price is the one that is staying home. And really, if you guys haven't watched the Colorado Rapids, they're, they're, they're hella fun. They send like Sam Vines is playing as like a fifth forward at times. It's wild to watch. They send everybody forward. But I, I think that Kellen Acosta's best moments a lot of the time come when he gets forward into the attack. And and this kind of formation where you need two people that are two-way and they're going to run all game long, like that's that's kind of your thing. Like they're just going to be running a lot. That is a great instance, I think, and a great use of Kellen Acosta. But I don't think that he is 
the number six guy like that that we need in case we don't you know break in case of Tyler Adams hurt kind of person I I don't think I'd necessarily trust him as the backup six Mm -hmm. he's he's a traditional box-to-box guy and if you want him to play that role specifically for the U.S. men's national team, I, I don't know if he gets in the lineup because oftentimes when you see the double pivot, we saw it in the Mexico game, Kellen Acosta and Weston McKinney, it was never Kellen Acosta really getting forward. You know, we almost changed formations where Kellen Acosta was the lone guy back there and Weston McKinney went. And he, he was providing that cover. But you're, you are correct. When he plays for Colorado, he does get a lot more forward. And you know, we, we, we are biased towards Kellen Acosta. We've had him on the show <laughs> two times. So we love everything he does. I don't care if he kicks the ball in his own goal. I'm still saying he scored a goal. But, yeah, I mean, we, we would love to continue to see Kellen Acosta play for the U.S. national team, whether it's at the six school, whether it's the eight and he competes with. Eunice Musa. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, you know, we'll see what Greg Berhalter wants. But before I ramble on about Kellen Acosta all day long, listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we will have our segment, All the Small Things, a discussion on where the U.S. men's national team now stand in CONCACAF and so much more. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time, Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 12, featuring special guest Adam Snavely. Head over to AdaTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Rumor even has it that they are in the process of creating a wristband for Sunday's iconic U.S. Men's National Team win. And now, as promised, we are going to get into our segment, All the Small Things where we talk about small moments that may have gone unnoticed in a match, but make all the difference. All right. All the small things. I'm back talking about Kellen Acosta. (laughs) Imagine that. All right. So unfortunately we don't have the video up for you when we put out the podcast. Okay. So you're just going to have to trust me. I'll I'll post the video later on Twitter. 61st minute, the U S men's national team picks up the ball in transition. Uh, Mexico turns the ball over from a long ball. Mark McKenzie intercepts it. Passes it to Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney finds Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna is absolutely surrounded by four Mexican defenders. Okay, Kellen Acosta, I just talked about the double pivot. Weston McKinney gave the Gio. Weston kept running. Gio surrounded by four. Kellen Acosta drops off, gives him an angle. And with that angle, we're able to keep possession in transition. He's able to then find Christian Pulisic. 
he turns the center back that has to step out because everybody's ball watching. And then Weston McKenzie ends up getting a shot off of it, and Josh Sargent almost scores. So Weston McKenzie? Weston McKinney. You see how it gets you see you see how it gets confusing. I'm talking fast, I'm passionate, their names are similar. But for all this all the small things, man, I'm talking about the smallest details, and it is being positionally aware and knowing where to be for your teammates to create an angle to then be able to spring the attack. And his discipline in that role was able to create the attack out for the US men's national team and almost led to a goal. Something so simple as staying in your spot. Yeah, I I remember the Weston McKinney shot. I can't say that I particularly remember Kellen Acosta's presence in that actual play. So I don't. I I I'll just leave it to you. You know, I I, I believe you. <laughs> hey hey, look, it this is, happened. Gio dropped the ball to him. He passed the ball forward. Um, hey, I can't remember it, who it was, but it looks it looks simple. But this is why it's all the small things. It's as simple as staying in a freaking position. Sometimes understand your role, be disciplined in what that role is. And the pass was pretty nice too. It was a little lofted ball over top, right? The Pulisic little Dutch turn in the middle. The whole thing was <laughs> a, the whole thing was the, all the small things, but. It was staying positionally aware and disciplined by Kellen Acosta that really stood out to me there. Although there's a million other things. So what sure. about this? So the the small thing that I picked out um, was, and and maybe even a series of small things, but the the understated importance of Timothy Weah in extra time and when he came on in the second half. Um, and and the moment the moment that I picked out was actually when uh, Christian Pulisic and Andres Guardado kind of get into it on the sideline. Um, this is the uh, the actually the play where uh, Mexican forward Henry Martin gets hit in the head with uh, a beverage of some sort. Um, but there's there's cups, there's stuff raining down. Uh, Guardado falls Pulisic, and there's a little bit of a dust up about it. And Tim Weah from out of nowhere, I have no idea where he came from. I think he was on the opposite side of the field, kind of sprints in, gets into the middle of the scrum where Pulisic is still lying down on the ground and literally takes his arms and like goes into like a full protect stance and, and just starts like shielding him from everything that's happening. But it, and, and that's, that's a silly way to boil it down, but in a lot of ways, Tim Weah was everywhere on the field when he got on. It was a little bit, it was a little bit like if Paul Ariola had elite speed. That's almost what what I what I related to. Tim Weah got on the field, and he just ran down every single thing that he could. He didn't appear on the score sheet. Um, he won a corner or two, and and I, I think that. It wasn't necessarily the greatest attacking game from him, but every chance he got, he was hustling and harrying and being just an absolute nuisance to every Mexico player with the ball. And I really appreciated that, that work rate from him and the, the shift that he put in. Holy moly. What a shout for Paul Areola. Wow. That one came <laughs> out of nowhere. Hey, Hey, but in that same scrum you're talking about where Timo Weo went into full protect mode, Pifok absolutely swerved one of the cups and it he blasted, did. He did. B- blasted <laughs> one of the Mexican players in the head. That is a, all the small things as well. You talk about situational awareness. Yeah, he's got awareness. 
Use those peripherals. He's got them. Mike D, he, uh, he took a peek. <laughs> took a peek for sure. Um, our coach, this reference to when we played in college, our coach would always tell us as six eights, you know, as the ball's coming in, take a peek. You know, you take a peek over your shoulder, make sure there's no defender. On. I digress. <laughs> so my all the small things was going to be the 61st minute buildup play that Blake had just gone into so much detail about, but about Weston McKinney. I'm not – you sound intrigued. <laughs> mm. um, so – I, box to I, I box. Was, I was going to switch it up and do another Weston McKinney one, but I'm just going to stick with this one. Um, so same play. You know, during that buildup, we see his box-to-box performance on display. He's just dropping all the way in right next to Kellen Acosta, right in front of Mark McKenzie. And Mexico plays a line-breaking pass where Mark McKenzie breaks it up and, and finds McKinney first time. Um, McKinney then uh, finds an outlet – and as soon as he finds the outlet is turning and burning up the right-hand side where then he receives the ball again and gets that shot on goal where it's blocked. Um, this is for me, my, all the small things because it, it truly does show Weston McKenney in a nutshell. He's all over the place. He's a workhorse, whether he's dropping in playing defense, distributing, or he's looking to go forward and putting himself in a great position to score goals. So, that's my all the small things. And Weston McKinney just works his ass off. He tracked back on defense. Then he then finds himself at the opposite 18, getting a shot off and damn near scoring. So that's Weston McKinney in a nutshell. That's why he's my captain. That's why he was my player of the game. <laughs> all right. And that's, that's why he was my moment of the match. Weston McKinney, this is, this is the Weston McKinney podcast for me right now. But, guys, Sunday night's win – brought hope to a U.S. men's national team fan base that has been haunted by that night in Coover. I know it was just one game, but has this young and talented group truly surpassed the aging Mexican side to take over CONCACAF? Or do we need to pump our brakes a little bit? Uh, surpassed? No. But surpassing? Maybe. I, I, I think that it's fair to... I think it's fair to say that this, this group is, I mean, it's definitely catching up to where Mexico is. And, and I think it's even fair to say this, this group could very feasibly pass where Mexico is right now. And, and especially when you, when you have players like Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, and, and how there seems to be an even more steady stream of talent coming up through the U S youth ranks, uh, I mean, you just had Justin Che in camp, a uh, 17-year-old that's currently in Bayern Munich's academy from FC Dallas. Uh, that's that's a, a really, really tough thing to replicate, and that is a, a, a just going to be a boon for the United States going forward. Um, I think that we have more players, more talented players than we possibly have ever had, um, but also surpassing Mexico takes – what you saw on Sunday night, which was the ability to fight and come through, even when you're not the best team on the field for large stretches. Um, I think it's impossible to say that Mexico wasn't ultimately the better team on the field, in my opinion, but that ultimately didn't matter. The U S found the game. They found the level. They managed to outplay Mexico in a few stretches and they capitalized on their opportunities. And now we're here. So if they combine that with their individual level, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to say, 
we should be talking about the U.S. surpassing Mexico in the region right now. What I do think is most unreasonable is on kind of on the other hand is expecting us to simply go out and dominate all other CONCACAF teams all the time, which I feel like I heard a lot of noise about, oh, this U.S. team should go out and dominate Honduras who Honduras are good. Like, like I, there's a lot of people who are like, well, we should, we should win this game handily when, when Honduras is a hard team to play against for everybody, just the way that they play, they come out super compact, super organized, and they're not trying to really give you any chances and just hoping that their forwards can create something on their own, which they did in large part against the United States. They go out, they beat Costa Rica, so I, I think that there are still like some some big talkers in the US fandom out there that are like, we should we are already ahead of Mexico and we should be dominating everybody. Those people might need to pump their brakes. But I don't think it's unreasonable to say the US is catching up to Mexico and given the trajectory, probably might surpass them in the next year or two. See, we asked this question this way because I knew you would give a response like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's right, though. Yes. Um, I'm all I'm gonna say is that we're top two and we're not two. You know what I mean? <laughs> but all kidding aside, um, the like you said, I mean, the U.S. men's national team and the pool is growing. We are only going to the moon. Stonks, baby. Stonks to the moon. So I think, yeah, we're we're trending upwards, and this team is only going to continue to get better. And um, I even actually saw a tweet, Edison Alvarez, regarding Mexico's performance, said, it hurts to lose, but hopefully the Mexican press will send a positive message to the fans about our performance. Please rewatch the game. Playing against the U.S. men's national team with their current players isn't easy. That's a huge statement, in my opinion, coming from the Mexican player. And, and you know, shouts to him for being able to come out and say that, you know, should be able to come out and say that but given the history of these two teams you you might not expect that but that for me uh, among other things with this with the pool growing and the and the tactics of the team growing and the and the quality of the players that are that are improving i say we will absolutely surpass them mm -hmm. we need to replicate that kind of result and not only against mexico but adam you talked a little bit about concacaf competition we've got the gold cup coming up World Cup qualifiers coming up. A lot of the teams in CONCACAF don't play us like Mexico. They're not going to outpossess us. You know, they don't press like that. A lot of these teams sit in low blocks. So we're going to have to find ways to be creative in the final third and in the middle third to create these opportunities. So while Greg Berhalter made this adjustment to win this one game against Mexico, he's going to have to find ways for his guys to play and get the most out of his guys against teams that play low blocks and things such as that. Ultimate set piece team, four four two. <laughs> Throw it all the way back. I'm old enough, guys. I'm old enough to remember vividly the U.S. needing a result in El Salvador and needing a brace from Connor Casey of all people to win. I am old enough to remember to re to recall these things. Wow. I am not against a four four two in Concacaf. I'm not either. God, I'm old enough to remember that. And I do remember Connor Casey representing the Stars and Stripes, but <laughs> I, I don't remember that situation. You got a great memory, my guy. That's why we called you on to the show. <laughs> I try. I, all right. So the U.S. Men's National Team has a match tomorrow. All right. They play Costa Rica in a friendly. 
they're playing this last game to replicate the, the three matches in a row that they would be playing in uh, World Cup qualifiers. Um, so I wouldn't expect to see the majority of our starters that we saw this past Sunday against Mexico. Adam, what is your ideal 11 in the friendly tomorrow night? Um, so I would love to see Daryl DK play at striker. Mm-hmm. Would, would just, just a, just a big Daryl DK fan, much like he, how he is a large man. Um, as big as he is, that's how much I like Daryl DK. Um, let me see. Daryl DK is, is a definite. Also, I, I gotta see Yunus Musa. I don't know if he pissed in somebody's cereal this break, but I, I can't believe that we didn't see him in either of the nation's league games. And I really, really want to see him against Costa Rica. Um, I, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it and thinking through, all right, who's on rest, who just played a huge game. Uh, Matt Miazga just got sent home. Uh, blah, 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 blah. We'll probably see, uh, our back four will probably look something like, what Anthony Robinson you'll probably you might see Walker Zimmerman in there because he just got called up uh you'll probably see Reggie Cannon and I don't even know who's who who else is in our defensive ranks at this point Mark McKenzie I guess yeah. I don't, maybe um maybe mark mckenzie uh probably david ochoa in goal actually i would imagine since zach stefan is definitely not going to play uh don't know how long he's going to be out for hopefully hoping for good news on that one uh but probably david ochoa um and then tyler adams it would be great to see tyler adams get a get a full run out maybe he maybe he's up for it maybe he's not and uh on one wing. Oh, Brendan Aronson. I'm a little bit sad that we didn't see more Brendan Aronson during these games. I love Brendan Aronson's game. I think that especially when there is a guy like DK or PFOC playing up top, that he really, really shines. I didn't mind seeing Polisic and Gio Reyna up top with Josh Sargent simply because Josh Sargent is a big passing kind of forward and Gio Reyna and Christian Polisic are two wingers that typically generate shots for themselves more than they generate shots for others. Um, but with a big kind of target man, I really, really love to see Brendan Aronson in there. Well, I, I didn't know that Miyazki went home. Me neither. Yeah, no, that was, that just, that just came out. He's getting married in like a week or two. And so that was obviously known, like, obviously they all knew that. And he went home to help with like finish up wedding preparations, I guess. But the kind of surprise, I guess, was that they called up Walker Zimmerman and I'm assuming they just didn't expect the match to last three hours against Mexico. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we need, we need someone else in here. I love Walker Zimmerman. So I'm so happy to hear that. So Blake, you want me to go or you want to go? I'll run through mine really quick. Very similar to yours. Okay, so Adam. I'll go. So I'll go. That's fine. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Ochoa and goal, Anthony Robinson. I had Miazga starting, but obviously congrats to you getting married. Walker Zimmerman. Mackenzie Cannon, Jackson Yule starting at the six, Legette Musa as the box-to-box guys in the midfield, Aronson, DK, and Timothy Weah. Yeah. All right. 
I'm going to go – I want to see Horvath play again. Hey, did Will Trapp get there? called up? Is he still there? That's no, a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard no. Hard pass. Hard pass on uh, Will Trapp. So I got um, – I'd like to see Horvath play again. Um, One L, he's holding the other L. <laughs> uh, I got Anthony. Uh, I did have Miazga as well. But if Walker Zimmerman is there, I would love to see him play. Uh, I think Mark McKenzie probably – I mean – given the amount of minutes that he played, probably not going to, but if he can go, I think he needs some of those minutes at the, at the, the high level uh, on the national team, Reggie Cannon. I, I have. McKenzie's um, got to redeem himself. I, I think so. Um, obviously it's not the same environment as playing in what he just played, but, um, and that may be a reason that he doesn't play is because, you know, it's, it's not going to mean that much or whatever it is. I, I don't know. I want to see him play more minutes though there because he definitely needs to get a little bit more comfortable. I think um, I have Musa, Aronson, Adams, and Legit. Uh, so I'm doing a four, four, two. And then I got DK way up top. Nice. We're all going to be wrong. Just going to let you guys know. Oh, that it's way. true. It's true. Blake said that to me earlier before we started because we were running through. He's like, yeah, we're, we're, everybody's going to be wrong. Everybody's Mike, D was, Mike D was trying to justify everything. I'm like, dude, don't think too hard about it. Just, I, I thought of 11 names out there. and I threw them down there. I was gonna, there. But, I was but talking pull- about Brennan Aronson, though, I, I, I really – I don't know that I was – I don't know that I was sad just because of, you know, the way that things were going. Um, I might have been afraid that – I don't know. We, ha- we haven't seen Aronson um, in – a high level game like that. So I'm not sure it might've been like a Mark McKenzie situation, but um, I do love Brendan Aronson's play. I mean, he's been on the show with us. We've talked to them as he was going, you know, transition from, from Philly to I think it's Leipzig, right? Right. Salzburg. Uh, he's Salzburg. in Salzburg. Salzburg. Other Red Bull. Um, other Red Bull. Um, and yeah, his play is, is, is phenomenal. So um, definitely want to see more of him and DK. I, think- I really cannot wait to see DK play more for the U.S. men's national team. The guy, like Blake said, is a specimen. He's a specimen. And I think Brennan, like Aaron- <laughs> I, I Brennan Aronson would have been great against Mexico, man. He's an absolute gnat. He's a, he presses harder than anybody else on the national team does. He's so hungry. I would have loved to have seen him, but I, I do expect that we'll see him in the friendly tomorrow against Costa Rica. Should be a good test against a U.S. men's national team. A minus team, B plus team. So, so we'll see how it goes. But Adam, before we let you go, man, do you have any final thoughts for us? Um, my my one my one final thought. Uh, not to not to be a, a downer, but um, there was uh, some talk about uh, Mark McKenzie posting on his Instagram that he was getting uh, some. Uh, some racist comments tossed his way uh, after the game against Mexico. Um, and I would just like to say, if you are a person that says that, uh, that, that we don't want you in the U S fandom, take, take your, take your, your talents and your, your viewing pleasure somewhere else. That's all. Yep. I saw Absolutely. About that. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Unacceptable. We have no room for that in our national team in soccer in general across the world. In the NBA, MLB, it doesn't matter. Racism, we don't want it here. It doesn't belong here. I know we're not going to get rid of it tomorrow, but if each of us take, you know, some kind of active action to make sure that we're not participating in it and we're condemning it, we need to continue to do that. It's unacceptable. So, Adam, other than that, you got anything else for me, bro? 
Um, all hail our Lord and the Savior, Gio Reyna. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he looks, his face looks like a bully from an 80s movie. You know? Like, he does. He looks like, like he the looks outsiders. like just, just something about his, like, he just has a really, really punchable face. I know that, I know that everybody, like, Everybody that plays against him, I know they got to hate him at least a little bit. I know he's in their ear a little bit. He's just got – he just looks like that. Mike D and I were at our indoor game yesterday, and I literally said to him as we were walking to the field, this kid walked by, I said, Mike D, you ever just look at somebody, you just want to punch him in the face? He's like, you talking yeah. about that guy? Because he saw the same thing. So, yeah, I agree with Gio Reyna. But, hey, something about Gio Reyna, he's got more goals at 18 against Mexico than Clint Dempsey ever had. Probably because he's kind of a jerk. I don't. I mean, hey, like everybody talked forever about how Darlington Nagby would be the best player in the world if he was an asshole. Hey, 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 hey! I love Darlington. Me, me too. <laughs> me too. But I can't disagree with them when I say that maybe Darlington Nagby would be the best player in the world if he was an asshole. I hear you. I hear you, Mike D. I don't have any closing thoughts. Just I can't put into words the excitement that I have for the U.S. men's national team going forward. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know it's late and um, you're probably a busy guy. Um, you know, drinking Guinnesses takes up a lot. Ah. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. No, but, thank you for serious. having me. Yeah, we, we, we definitely appreciate you taking the time in such short notice to come out and, uh, and be a part of MLS Gone Wild. So thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, Adam. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to MLS Gone Wild Season 3, Episode 12, featuring Adam Snavely of The Athletic. U.S. Men's National Team are back at it tomorrow in a friendly versus Costa Rica. Let's keep this momentum rolling. Support our players. Keep your beers in your hands. Stay off the pitch and enjoy the match. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Peace.